Well, good morning, Valley Christian Church. It's great to see you guys. As you can see behind me here, we got a little something different going on this week. We're running Kids Blast. This place has been an absolute uh, zoo, but I use that in a, in a great way, like, a, like the good use of that word. It's been a zoo. It's been amazing. There's been a lot of running around, a lot of uh, people learning about the Lord, little kids just having a great time. It's just been awesome. So um, that thing right there, nothing to worry about, just something a little bit different this week. Now, before I get started, I want to shout out the Poughkeepsie campus, and I want to shout out the online campus, and I'd like to share a joke that somebody actually at the Poughkeepsie campus told me last week. Now, I'm going to keep it anonymous because the guy's wife was like, no, don't say it. But he was telling me last week about how he was driving around for hours and hours and hours, but he couldn't find the online campus anywhere. And I was like, <laughs> I'm using it. So I'm using it. There it is. I will protect your identity. But uh, yes, there it is. We, nothing but the best for us here at the Valley Family. Great jokes to kick this thing off with, I know. Now, last week, Pastor Stephen kicked it off, kicked off Father, Son, and the other one with a sermon on the role, who the Holy Spirit is. And this week, I'm going to kind of pick it up from the same verse that he started out with in Genesis chapter 1. So let's go ahead and do this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. We're going to come back to that in a second. Formless and void. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now I'm going to teach you guys a little bit of, a little bit of Hebrew today, if that's all right, right? Maybe just, just two quick phrases. They're actually kind of fun to say. They really are. So the first one goes like this. All right? Tohu avovu. Tohu avovu. Right? Can you guys say that? Tohu vavovu. Even I'm messing it up. Tohu vavohu. Yeah, yeah. I think I heard like bobo manohu or something over here, but that's okay. It's close enough. Close enough. Tohu vavohu. Right? That is the Hebrew words for formless and void. There's actually kind of a lot going on with that in Hebrew, right? Because it's not only is it like formless and void, but there's like a sense of, of, of like desolation. There's a sense of just kind of like a wilderness of nothing. It is formless. It is empty. It is inhospitable to life. There is no life there. It is a desert wasteland of darkness and death. Tohu vavohu. Yes, beautiful. Now, the other word I'm going to teach you today is ruach. Ruach. Turn to the person next to you and say ruach. Yes. Now give them a tissue and help them wipe off their face. Ruach. Ruach means spirit. But in Hebrew, it actually means a couple other interesting things that are related to the word spirit. Ruach can also mean breath, and it can also mean wind. So when we see it here in the beginning of Genesis, the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters that were formless and void, full of kind of just like this desolation, this deep abyss of nothingness, inhospitable. God was still there, moving over the surface of the waters. Some translations say hovering over the surface of the waters. Some translations say blowing over the surface of the waters to get that meaning of wind also in there with spirits. But um, I want to do like a quick little, uh, you know, a quick little demonstration here. I want you guys to put your hand close to your mouth like pretty close to your mouth, where you can feel your breath, right? Very close. And then I want you to say that tohu vo, <coughs> tohu vavohu, right? Tohu vavohu. 
Do you feel that on your hand? You felt that on your hand? Tohu vavohu. That is your ruach. That is your breath. That is the same word here, spirit. So you get spirit, wind, and breath all covered in that Hebrew word ruach. And both of those things, the formlessness and void, and the spirit of God, they're both there at the beginning. But this right here, there's a little bit of movement towards it. God is hovering over that desolation, and he's about to do something. Let's go ahead and go to the next verse. And God said, God said, using his ruach, God said, let there be light. Let there be light. And of course there was light. And there probably wasn't a delay. It probably wasn't like him saying, let there be light. And then like a couple minutes later, it was like, okay, there's light. It was probably exactly as he said it, let there be light. And there was light where there was once only darkness. There was illumination where there was once only just confusion. Let there be light. God spoke it. God was moving all the way back there at the beginning, creating something out of nothing, light where there was formerly only darkness. It's deep stuff, deep stuff. For years, I kind of like glanced over this. And, and, and I'll be honest, like even sometimes when I do my morning devotions or something, like sometimes it's just to me, it's just kind of like reading a couple lines and it's like line after line after line, very like surfacey, just kind of going through it. It's almost in the back of my mind, just like, yep, blah, 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 blah. And then I can like check off my like feel good about yourself today box because I did my morning devotions, right? But the Word of God is so much deeper than that. There's so much going on here that we can't even get to. We're barely scratching the surface here. Barely. Now, I remember back in the day when I was like a super, very new Christian, and, and I've told some of my story here before, and I won't bore you with all the details, but uh, there was a time where I was, I was actually homeless, right? I was like 20 years old. I was homeless, and I ended up in this homeless program. It was a Christian program, and um, we used to do all kinds of stuff. In a Christian program, we were like, we were brought to church like 18 times a week or something, I felt like, right? We were constantly going to church, constantly going to like service projects, constantly going to, to worship services and, and prayer times and stuff. And out of our incredibly busy schedule, because they make you incredibly busy on purpose, there was one thing that always stood out to myself and all the other homeless young adults that were there, right? And, and a lot of us we're coming off of like crazy things like drugs, you know, mental problems, like all kinds of instability and abuse in our past and stuff. And we've been sitting in a little room and there'd maybe be, maybe be like 15 of us sitting there. And one time a week on Tuesday mornings, I remember it, for like an hour a week, this guy, random guy, his name was Mike. This guy would come in and he would teach us the Bible. Now we were in church all, all, all the time, all week. We were in prayer services all week. But this one time a week, Tuesday mornings at like 9 o'clock in the morning for an hour, this guy would come in. He wasn't a pastor. He didn't have a nice car or something. He didn't have like a ministry really or anything like that. He was just a teacher and he was gifted. So keep in mind, there's like 15 of us and we're like, you know, the dregs of society at that point in time, very much coming out of like issues and stuff. And this man was up there in the front of us and the way that he spoke using the gifting that God had given him as a teacher 
us homeless kids, us homeless youth would sit there and be like sitting straight up. And every once in a while, it was like the word of God was just hitting us. And you'd look to your buddy next to you and he would be sitting straight up and be like, oh my God. And somebody over there would be like, wow. And people were just lights on, illuminated, lights on because the power of God is so much beyond just the surface. So much deeper than that. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of the Holy Spirit to illuminate that in us. I'll never forget those days, man. There's something special about that, about being in such a low place, but God still being able to reach there and cut through our issues and cut through our problems and still speak to our hearts because that word of God really is sharp and active and living. It goes on to say, God saw that the light was good. He separates the light from the darkness. He calls the light day, calls the darkness night, and there's evening, and there's morning, and there's one day, but they have yet to, we've yet to see the sun, the moon, the stars. They have not been created yet. So you have all this light happening. You have day happening, darkness, night, evening, morning, but they haven't even, we haven't even seen the creation of the sun, moon, and stars. There's a deepness here. They didn't make a mistake. There's a deepness here. There are other things going on here, profound things going on here that unfortunately maybe we don't have the time to fully get into right now, but suffice to say, the word is deep. And in today's kind of like instant gratification culture, which yes, I'm a part of, right? It's just kind of all around us. Sometimes it takes a little bit more than a quick, like, surface glance over the words. It takes what the Bible, you know, used to refer to as, like, meditation, meditating on his word. Not like, oh, but sitting there and thinking about it and praying about it and saying, God, reveal to me what's going on in this. Show me, Lord. Illuminate me. So, the Holy Spirit's role all the way back here in Genesis, the Spirit of God, right? From Genesis 1 verse 2, Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit's role is to bring light, is to bring that illumination, is to bring that light where there was formerly darkness. And it's funny because that's all the way back in Genesis. The first, the first things in Genesis here, the first verses in Genesis are so rich, but they're already talking about that stuff. They're already talking about that stuff. So it should be no surprise that when we fast forward a little bit to the time of Jesus in the New Testament and he starts teaching about the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit role hasn't really changed a whole lot in all those millennia. It's still about bringing light to the dark places, bringing order to what was formerly chaos. Let's go to John 16. Jesus is getting ready to be crucified. He knows it. He knows it. He's being pretty open with his disciples at this point. I'm not going to be around much longer. I'm not. And they're kind of like sad about it, right? He says, I tell you the truth, though, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Notice it's not like an it there. Notice it's like seemingly referred to as a person, right? The Holy Spirit. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin. There's three things. Sin and righteousness and judgment. Next verse. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. This is what the Holy Spirit's going to do. 
It's going to illuminate this process, going to teach, going to show, going to reveal these things. Going to teach the people about sin because they don't believe in him. It's going to teach the people concerning righteousness because he goes to the Father and you no longer see him. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now let's go ahead and break those down a little bit. It's like three like very kind of obvious points that Jesus lays out. I want to make sure that we kind of dutifully walk through those three things because this is important for really what the Holy Spirit is doing, especially here when Jesus is really kind of introducing him for the first time to his followers. So let's talk about three things the Holy Spirit illuminates. Three things the Holy Spirit illuminates. The first thing, sin. Our sin. See, everyone, everyone that comes to know the Lord, at some point in time, we need to come to an understanding, need to come to kind of like a revelation and a realization that maybe this world is kind of messed up the way that it is. Maybe this world is kind of acting right now how God did not intend it to act. There's something up with the world, with the wars and the starvations and the death and the destruction. But if we're honest, if we're honest, we can look in our hearts, we can look at ourselves, and we can see a little bit of that inside us as well. The Holy Spirit is going to illuminate, going to show us, reveal to us our sin. I'm not even talking necessarily about specific behavioral sins like lying or cheating or defrauding or whatever it is but our sin as a whole, the way that we are. You see, when you come to know God, when you come to have that experience with God, it's coming to have an experience with this thing, this being that is pure holiness, pure perfection, pure light, if you will. And we can't help but to compare ourselves to that and see ourselves apart from that and say, that thing is so holy and amazing. God is so amazing. How can I stand before that? And you look at yourself and you say, I can't. Isaiah said it pretty well here. Isaiah had this experience. He saw God. He saw God, and he freaked out. This is what he says. He says, woe to me, and he cries, I'm ruined. Some translations say, I am undone. I am undone. Everything that I am is done, unraveled on the ground before that. Awesome being that is God. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Basically, how can I stand before such perfection? The Holy Spirit was revealed to Isaiah. His sin nature and the Holy Spirit will reveal to us when we first come to know the Lord the same thing. There's God and there's us. Totally different things and there's a separation there. We can't come before God until we get to this next point that the Holy Spirit illuminates Christ's righteousness. Christ's righteousness. Because coming into contact with God 
will always bring the conviction of sin. But the Holy Spirit is doing that to show us our need for a Savior, Christ's righteousness. Paul in the New Testament, he says something similar to what Isaiah was talking about. And he's talking about, he's talking about himself. And he's like, I look at myself. And he's like, I, I know what God wants for me, but I can't do it. I do what I don't want to do. And the things that I want to do, I don't do. He's like, I don't understand what's going on here. I see something like at war inside me where I desire to do what God wants. But I, but I kind of like I'm a slave to this other thing that I do and I don't want to do. And he kind of goes on and on and on about that. And he finishes it with this verse, which is crazy. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He saw his sinful nature. He saw the effects of the fall of this world inside of him. He saw that in the light of a great, amazing, perfect God. And he cried out. That should be what we do. When we first come to know, we cry out. Who will save me from this body of death? And then the next verse, Paul actually answers that. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, the Lord. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Holy Spirit reveals Christ's righteousness because no matter how good that we are trying to be, no matter how many like little boxes that we can check on a daily basis about like, oh, I did something nice for somebody. I didn't get mad at that person. I did this other thing. And we have this list of like all these like great things that we do. Let me tell you. You could wake up in the morning and give to charity and be beautiful with people and do all kinds of just good works. And you could do that every day for a million years. But honestly, we will never be able to build that stairway back to God to bridge that great gap between us because perfection is no longer perfection if even there's a little bit of imperfection and there's no human that's perfect, right? So it doesn't matter how much good that you can do, We'll never get to that point. There needs to be someone who bridges that gap between us, and that is the role of Jesus, and that is Christ's righteousness. The Bible actually refers to it as us. When we receive that through revelation of the Holy Spirit, our need for Jesus as our Savior, it actually refers to us as having been and being clothed in Christ, that he puts his righteousness on us that we may go before him blamelessly and walk and ask for what we desire, ask the Lord for things and say, God, I don't come here by my grace. I don't come here by my merits. I come here by your amazing grace and your perfection and your blood and your sacrifice for me. And I come before you boldly because I believe in your righteousness. Now, the third thing that the Holy Spirit illuminates, and we're going we're to expound on this a little bit, illuminates is the truth about the ultimate judgment, right? So it reveals our sin, reveals our need for a Savior in Christ, and then reveals what Christ's work really is all about, which is this. John 16, 11, concerning judgment. The Holy Spirit's going to reveal this concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. You see, Christ, God in the flesh, was made to be like us 
in order to overcome the ruler of this world, to set us free. Hebrews 2.14 puts it like this. Because God's children, us that believe in him, are human beings made of flesh and blood. Because we're made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. To recap what the Holy Spirit does, shows us our sin, shows us our need for a Savior, Christ's righteousness, and shows us the end of the story that Christ has overcome and defeated the devil, that the devil is a liar. You might still see the effects of the devil in some places, but know that God has already accomplished what he set out to do. The devil has been defeated. He has been judged. The ruler of this world that was the devil at one point has been knocked down, and it's just a matter of time before the rest of the world is brought and catches up to that realization, that revelation of the truth that God has set it all under his feet. I find this verse like a little bit weird at first a couple of years ago because I always kind of had a problem. It, was, it wasn't so much a problem, but it was like, it was hard for me to understand how the Bible could be referring to the ruler of this world as the devil. Like, in a way, like, that almost sounded like blasphemy to me because, of course, God created the world. Like, how in the world can God create the world and yet the devil is shown as the one who's the ruler of the world? Like, I didn't kind of get that, Right? And I would read verses like this next one where where Jesus, he's being tempted out in the wilderness. He's being tempted and and actually, you know, the devil comes up to him and has this, this temptation. It's very interesting how the devil words this. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And the devil says, if you will bow down and worship me, All this I will give to you. Excuse me. All this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. You think the devil was going to offer Jesus something he didn't actually have? He had it. He had the world. He had the authority to give that in that moment over to Jesus. And he actually asked Jesus to break God's command. Because God's command is right here. Jesus replies to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the devil was trying to get Jesus to break God's command and worship him before worshiping God, the Father. And he even offered him the whole earth, all the kingdoms, all the splendor and glory. See, it's kind of funny because for all the time human beings have been around, the devil really hasn't learned a lot of, a lot of new tricks. He's kind of always doing the, the same stuff. And unfortunately, a lot of times it works on us, right? The devil here is shown to have the authority of the world. He is the ruler of the world there, right? But where did that come from? Like, I would wonder, like, How again, if God created this world, and okay, I see the devil is like in charge of it at some point, but where'd that happen? And the answer is it goes all the way back again to Genesis. 
the beginning of Genesis. Not Genesis 1 this time, but right next to it, Genesis 2. Genesis 2, we see God creates man. When the Lord God takes the man and puts him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it, God gives man authority over his creation. Eventually, God even brings the animals before him and has Adam name the animals as they go by. God had given Adam a dominion, a rulership, if you will, over his creation and really only had a stipulation, one of them, which was, you see that tree over there? Don't eat the fruit. All the other trees, all the other fruit you can eat. Don't eat that one fruit from that tree. You rule this garden. You reign here. You are in charge of all of this. Under me, of course, but I'm giving this to you. You're my manager of this place. Well, we know how that turned out, right? We know how that turned out. The serpent gets in there. I start saying, hey, did God really command that thing that he said? Does God really not want you to eat from that tree? Right? Just like with Jesus, the devil is trying to get Jesus, Jesus to break that command. The devil is trying to get Adam and Eve to break a command of God. He does the same thing because that's the devil's nature. He's trying to get us to question God in our lives. And he starts with Eve and he's like, don't you see, like pretty much, don't you see that God is just trying to hide that from you? That God is just holding back from you? That God knows that if you were to eat of that fruit over there that he maybe said not to eat, that you just become like him, that you would know good from evil, that it would be awesome. You could have that for yourself. You could be like God. That was too much. That was too much. There was deception, and ultimately there was a breaking of that command from God. And let me tell you where the whole like rulership thing comes in. God gave Adam that authority to rule his creation here. And by breaking that command of God, the one thing that God said, do not do. Adam in that moment actually Listen to the serpent instead of listening to God. He went and he listened to the serpent and basically gave the serpent that authority. Because as soon as they sin, as soon as that happened, as soon as they broke that command, the Bible says that sin and death entered the world. That's the devil's playground. Sin and death. That was the fall. That was the curse. There was a new sheriff in town. His name wasn't Adam. Tony, Genesis is deep. Genesis is deep stuff. Adam and Eve. Instead of trusting in God, and looking around and seeing how good everything was. Paradise. And saying, whoever created this and whoever's been so kind to us must be good and I will trust him 
with everything, even if I don't understand the reasons behind some of the things that he tells me to do or not do. I should have said that. I should have. But they kind of leaned on their own understanding instead. They followed their heart, if you want to put that in modern terms, right? Follow your heart. I hear that all the time. All the time. He used to say, do not lean on your own understanding. Nowadays, everything is follow your heart, 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 follow your heart. Kim Jong-un, let me tell you, he's following his heart, man. All these people out there that are, that are just spitting on people and stepping on people and being the evil of society, they're following their heart, man. Follow your heart is worldly wisdom. Jesus has better for us than that. In fact, we should be following his heart. Right? In fact, when we come to know our sin and the Holy Spirit illuminates our need for a Savior, when we receive that, God actually gives us a new heart because our old one is corrupt. There's nothing, nothing that can be done for that. God himself gives us a new heart. But you know, you and I, we still wake up every morning with our struggles. We still wake up every morning with those temptations. We still wake up every morning and the devil's got his little things that he may be trying to whisper in our ear. And that old heart, that old man, that old sin nature, we're kind of like dragging it around behind us. And sometimes, a lot of times, we get our identities mixed up. And we forget that our identity has been renewed and transformed in Christ and that we're clothed in Christ and that God has given us his righteousness and that he has made us complete new beings. I look back at that thing they were kind of dragging behind us. I want to follow that heart. That heart right back there still likes to, you know, <laughs> internet porn. That heart back there still likes to steal money from work. That heart back there. And then we get messed up. Then it gets even weirder. Then it's like we start identifying with that heart. And we say, that's who I am. That's who I am. That's who I am. And Christ says, No. No. Jeremiah says, the prophet Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Deceitfully wicked above all things. That's like strong. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Jesus, Jesus said, for from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Follow your heart. Jesus would be like, no, do not follow your heart. Don't. 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 Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. Old heart included. 
It is no longer I who live with my ambitions, with my feelings, with my emotions, with the way that I see myself or see the world, the way that I view like God's command. Did he really say that? I don't know. It feels good. I'm going to do it anyway. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me while I'm still living in this that still has the remnants of the effects of sin and death, right? This body's going to pass away one day. While I'm still living in it, I'm going to live in it by faith that Christ has given himself for me and that one day, even though this body will fail and fall into the ground, that it will merely be planted like a seed. And on the day that Christ returns, it will be raised up anew with him in immortality, covered and clothed completely in Christ in a way that we can only now think and kind of understand but not yet fully see. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You want to see if something is something you're thinking about doing or, or something that's, you know, let me put it like this. If you're ever curious if something is from your old self, your old man, your sin nature, or something is from God, right? Invite the Holy Spirit into that picture. You would not believe how many people over the years that I've run into, and I, I mean this, I'm going to say this like gently. I don't want to... I don't know, kick anybody or anything like that, but it's like you find people all the time that are like, God told me that it's okay to go over here and like, you know, cheat on my husband with this other dude because like maybe he loves me more. God told me it's cool to have a second family over here with a couple kids that I kept hidden for like 15 years. I know that sounds ridiculous, but people do that. It's true. And if you're ever curious, maybe it's not such an extreme example, but if you're ever curious, if a desire is from your old man, from your old self, or from the heart of God, you pray about it and you ask the Holy Spirit, Lord God, reveal to me, illuminate your way for me. Show me, God, your heart in this situation. And when you do that, then you have a choice to make. Because when the Holy Spirit speaks, we have two choices. We can receive it, repent, or we can resist, rebel. Jesus is a gentleman, we'll call him. He's never going to force you to believe in him and force you to do whatever that he wants you to do by force. He's never going to do that. Because then you're a robot. Why not just create an earth full of robots? Where's the love in that? And you hear people like rag on Christianity and be like, 
you know, talking about people doing all this stuff and all this evil that's out there in the world. But the beauty is that God doesn't want robots. He wants you to choose him of your own free will. He wants you to say, I have my ways, I have my desires, I have my ambitions, I have all this stuff, but I give that to you fully and completely, God. I give you my old heart, God, that you would replace it with yours. Oh, Lord. We have two choices, receive or resist. Speaking of, of Jesus uh, being a gentleman and stuff, one of my favorite things about Jesus, <laughs> you'll see this, like when, you, when you're reading the Gospels from here out, if you've never seen this before, you'll, you'll start seeing it for sure. Jesus, being God, being the one with all the answers, loved to not just tell the answers, but loved to actually ask the questions. He had all the answers, but he was asking tons of questions. Why? Because he was trying to give the people a chance to see it, to see him, to come to that on their own and to desire. Desire the Lord. Matthew 16. Jesus is hanging out with his, his disciples, right? And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? I don't care what that person says that I am. I don't care about that person that says what I am. You, personally, who do you say that I am? It's easy sometimes to say, oh, you're Lord. But sometimes it's a little bit tougher when what God is telling us costs a little bit. When the truth is a little difficult, a little hard to hear. That's one thing when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Oh, Lord. It's another thing when Jesus speaks something, maybe convicts you of something, and you have a choice to receive or resist. Who is the Lord then? Who is Lord then? Who is Lord when you are faced with your personal tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And you know God said, no, no, no. But you say, hmm. One of my favorite verses, favorite verses is a story about Jesus. Jesus is with the multitudes, man, and they're following him around and everything is all good. He's feeding them on the hills. He's got thousands of people with him. Man, things are going awesome when there's free lunch involved, baby. And they're following him around. They're jumping in boats trying to follow him across seas. But Jesus gives a teaching one day. It's kind of hard. Jesus gives them a teaching one day that's totally true and would have changed their entire lives if only they could have kind of gotten over themselves a little bit and accepted it and walked in it. But instead, the majority of those crowds who were with him during the good times, woo, were suddenly like, um, 
to know, man. Thanks for lunch. Deuces. And the Bible talks about them leaving him in droves. Teaching was too hard. They couldn't accept it. And Jesus in that moment is being deserted by all these crowds who once waved palm branches. Blessed are you! They're gone. And Jesus turns as the crowds are out, as the crowds are gone, and turns to his last remaining disciples, his core, and he says, Will you not leave me too? Are you going to leave too? When the going gets rough, are you going to leave too? Who am I to you then? Where is your identity? Who do you say that you are? Is your identity wrapped up in Christ? Or is your identity wrapped up in yourself? And if you feel that Holy Spirit pricking at your heart even right now, and I don't have anybody in mind when I say that, but if you know that God is speaking to you and illuminating something in your life that you're doing that you should not be doing, you got a choice, right? receive it or resist it who is lord now you know jesus when he first started his ministry you know he was like 30 or something right when he first like kicked it off like kicked it off for real the Bible talks about him. He starts preaching about the kingdom of God, right? That's like the beginning marker. He starts preaching about the kingdom of God and traveling around and talking about the kingdom of God. And you see that in Matthew 4, when Jesus first began to preach, he first begins his ministry. He's traveling around. He's in a certain area of Israel. And it picks it up right here. It says the people who were in that area when Jesus finally started his ministry and showed up on the scene, it says the people who were sitting in darkness, this is calling back to Genesis. I tricked you and I'm bringing it back on you. The people who were sitting in darkness, they saw a great light sitting in darkness. They weren't going anywhere. They were sitting in darkness. They were done. was a waste. The deep darkness. And they were stuck there. And those who were sitting in the land in shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. Genesis chapter 1, like verses 1, 2, 3, they are all prophesying Jesus Christ from the very beginning. In fact, there was a time when I didn't know the Lord. There was a time when I was going around 
wandering, confused, lost. I was stumbling. I was hopping on Greyhound buses and just going. Whatever, let's go. I was getting places, didn't know what to do. I was lost. More importantly, I was lost spiritually. I didn't have that light of Christ in my life. But at some point, God, even in that tohu vavohu, right? Even in that desolate wasteland that was my life, in that darkness of the shadow of the valley of death where I sat, God's Spirit was still moving and hovering and blowing until the moment that God revealed himself in my heart and said, let there be light, Randy, and change my life. If that is you, you need to listen to me. You need to listen to the Spirit of God through me maybe in this moment receive the word receive it don't resist it let there be light the Lord desires to dawn in your life and give you a new beginning like the morning Your life, O oh Lord. Upon those who were sitting in the land of shadow and death, upon them a light dawned. Lord, I, I just thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit, God. Holy Spirit, I thank you, God for your wisdom, your word, Lord, your amazing grace, Lord, the giftings that you've given in, in your church, Lord, your people, Lord, your righteousness, your identity. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would speak even into the darkness and even into the confusion in our lives and places that only you know about God. You would cause the light of life to be there, God. Help us, God, not to resist you, but to receive you, Lord. Even in our innermost being, even when the times get rough, you are still God. And Lord, I do pray, I do pray for whoever is out there who stumbled upon this message, wherever, that wasn't quite sure about you, that didn't quite know you, didn't quite know if you were what we say that you are. Lord, I pray. I pray, Lord, that you would show yourself and speak, Lord, in that mighty name of Jesus and change those lives forever. Thank you, Lord. Amen.